and welcome to Viewpoints. Today, we will be talking with two fantastic examples of professionalism within the public safety firefighting career path. Uh, from Chesterfield, Michigan, we welcome Chief Craig Miller and firefighter, firefighter Chloe Liberatore. Chloe and Chief, welcome to our show today. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. I'm going to start with you, Chloe. Uh, public safety always seemed to be your calling, although um, you didn't recognize primary focus on firefighting in the beginning. Um, I start out with this because I feel that sometimes we start out in a public safety feeling like mm -hmm. we have to go in one direction and we may feel frustrated with the direction we are headed. Uh, you are such a perfect example of how shifting from one goal to another is not only acceptable, but you, um, it can and has helped you achieve success in public safety with a different focus from where you started. So I'd like to talk uh, to you a little bit about this. We'll talk more in depth as we go on, but if you could, can you please tell us what inspired you to start in the medical field initially and some of the turns you have taken along in your journey? Yes. So I did start in the medical field as a licensed practical nurse working in the ER. I oversaw a lot of our EMS patients, helped out with the EMS coordinating for the intake portion. I, I really liked my job there. It was a great experience, but I found myself wanting to do more. And that is when I decided to take the public safety route. I wanted to be a public safety officer, police and fire. I enrolled in EMS schooling at a local college. And while I was attending classes there, I was also an intern for Gross Point Farms. I worked primarily with their canine division on the road. I ended up doing their Citizens and Undercover Academy for civilians. I worked with their fire specialist, as they called them. They had three fire specialists that were constantly on shift. And I found myself more to the side of thing. So my initial plan was to do before the fire academy, changed my mind and did the fire academy first. And upon graduating the fire academy, realized that that was the route that I really wanted to take. So I was applying for different departments. In the meantime, I worked for MAP as an armed security guard in a hospital ER, and then found my home at Chesterfield. Wow, that that is quite a path. <laughs> Do you ever think, wow, maybe I should have gone into law enforcement or are you like satisfied where you're at? I don't feel like I should have went into law enforcement. I feel like I'm exactly where I needed to be, but I felt that my time spent in the public safety department being able to do both helped me realize which path I really wanted to take. Oh, good. All right. Thank you. Um, Chief Miller, what an honor it is to have you on our show today. Uh, I remember when I first met you um, at a fire chief's meeting back in 2006, uh, you were among the first of a, of a pretty large handful of chiefs who were so supportive of that position I had taken on back then. Um, so I just want to thank you 
for doing that. Um, but when you started your career as a firefighter back in 1985 or uh, back in the 19s, that's what my 14 year old calls it. <laughs> um, what kind of technology changes have you seen over the past? No, let's just say just let's just say few years. What kind what have you seen that's really significant? You are so kind, Sherry. Thank you. Well, it's my honor to be here with you, too, and I appreciate it. Um, great, uh, great format. And uh, the dispatch and communications is so important. And one of the links, you know, we talk about, you know, police, fire, EMS all the time. We, we kind of don't talk about communications and the public safety communicators and that profession because they are the true first responder. They're the ones communicating with the people needing help. What I've seen in change in technology since the teens <laughs> is, um, man, it's hard to it's hard to even keep track of. Uh, from the days when our cell phones were in bags to today, when you know the next thing, next technology is we're going to be wearing them. Uh, they're going to be fitted on our glasses or possibly in our ear as we walk around and doing everything else like that. Um, it's it's the changes in technology. It's I think it goes over that. You just have to be able to stay up with everything that's going on because it's so fast and so diverse. Um, you know, one of the big things we look for is risk management in the fire service. And how can we keep an eye out for things that are going to hurt us or if we're not keeping up with the times, all of a sudden we're going to find out that we're in trouble because life has kind of passed us by. That's one of the things that the fire service is not well known for. We are very rooted in tradition uh, that kind of rolls into the whole um, male, female in the fire service thing. Um, I worked with folks back in the day and their attitude was this is no place for women. Um, I could tell you personally, myself, I started out in the world of EMS in the late 1980s. And everywhere I worked, I worked with Chloe. I worked with Sherry Bartram. I worked with professionals who were women. And I never thought of them as guy and gal. They were my partners. I don't think of them as females and males. I think of them as firefighters. And, you know, I kind of grew up that way. And so for that reason, you know, it, it's hard for me to have a, to understand how people will struggle with a woman being in the position of in a predominantly male profession like that, because it's just kind of foreign to me that way. Well, and you are a gem among chiefs. I just have to say that. Um, Thank you. Uh, and we're going to I'm going to talk to Chloe a little bit about that. But with that attitude, I'm sure you've seen, uh, certainly, I don't want you to name any names, but no. I'm, I'm sure you've seen chiefs throughout your profession who haven't felt that way. Um, what have you done with that information? I mean, how, how has that affected you? If you? Have you ever been able to go and talk to them and say, what are you thinking? Or like, how do you handle that as as you've watched your peers, maybe not treat um, the women in the profession like you would? Well, it, it's real simple uh, to me that when we are together uh, at our work, we are in the workplace and there is a certain decorum in our workplace. 
It is professionalism from before you hit the door till you leave. And even afterwards, you know, who you are is what you do. And as a, as a firefighter, as any public safety official, uh, you are that off duty as well as on duty. Um, I can remember that one of the first things that pops into my mind in a challenge with this is I had a, uh, uh, in a previous department and I've worked for many as, as you know, I've been for five, I've worked for five different municipalities. Previous department I worked for, I had a female fire inspector and uh, she was just dynamite. She had a great rapport with people. She knew her profession. She knew the skills. She knew the information. She would go out and she would win over hearts and minds, which is what a fire inspector should do. They're an ambassador for safety. And what happened, uh, she went and talked with a certain individual in our community um, who was from a different era, I think is probably the best way to put it. And he would not have anything to do with a woman telling him what to do in his own business as far as making things right for the fire code, which is her job, to the point where he would complain about her. She did this. She said that. This is improper. She's not telling me what to do, blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, she's, you're looking past the uniform. You have to remember who she represents and what she's doing out there. And this is inappropriate. And so I had that heart-to-heart -heart talk with the gentleman. And, uh, of course, he appeased me and said, all right, I know, I know. I'll do what I'm supposed to do and everything. But he even went as far as saying, I don't want her ever to come back and inspect my business. Wow. Which I had to respond to him. Not true. Can't can't guarantee that. It's her job, and you are part of her job. If she is in any way unprofessional, you come and see me. And I know she was not unprofessional. So it was trying to diffuse the situation, but I knew that I would never be able to change the mindset with that individual. Um, I know uh, I've experienced... Uh, in a male dominated profession. And, um, I've heard, oh, well, you know, you just have to let the old regime pass by. And, uh, I've had some really great times and, and, and challenges certainly, but, uh, what have you seen as time has passed this old regime that people have talked about? Do you, do you feel like it's passing or changing? I think it is changing. I think it's not happening as quickly as we would like. And of course, one of the problems, you know, the fire service, uh, trying to change a culture is probably one of the most difficult things that you will ever attempt. Um, trying to move mountains, like they say, you know, one shovel at a time. Um, there are certain things that, you know, we stand by in the workplace, and that is, you know, equality, um, making sure that conditions are proper for a healthy environment working with male and female employees too. Simple things like the separation of uh, bunk facilities, uh, locker rooms, all those different things, having that stuff in place. That's just uh, black and white. That's, that, that's a no-brainer when you're running a business like a fire department. It has to be that way. It has to be comfortable for the employees. So once you have those things in place, that's kind of the tangible. The untangible is people's attitudes. Um, you know, one of the big things that we really want to do in the future is make sure we have more uh, women 
who are definitely the minority in the fire service to come and, and try joining the fire service and get into the fire service and be a productive professional in our profession as well. Um, the more that we can get involved with it, I'll tell you, it's interesting. So many, 80% of the calls on average we run are medical emergencies for most fire departments. And you can see the difference in certain instances with children, with uh, domestic issues, with um, even people that are scared, elderly and stuff like that. When you put two big burly guys in there who kind of bounce around, have big mustaches and you know, talk real loud and, and are really affixed on the skills they're going to do. And then you put in a woman who has a softer voice and has the ability to communicate with somebody. Suddenly they may be closer to that person. And in that case, they may get past some of that fear that they may have because of the fear and confusion about their injury or their sickness or something like that. And that caring, that nurturing quality that comes with them definitely is a positive for what we do out there in the world. Well, I can see that. And certainly, uh, you know, you've talked about steeped in tradition and there are some really great things that that tradition is very helpful. And I, I, you know, when I think about uh, instant command system, I, the fire firefighters were, the fire departments were leaders in mm -hmm. adopting the instant command system, thank goodness, because, you know, they needed to be. So yeah. it's, not, it's not all bad, but uh, I remember those early fire meetings that I mentioned, you know, when I met you. Uh, and I remember as a cohesive unit, we were really trying to meet some NIMS requirements and how mm -hmm. uh, fire apparatus was referred to. And um, we were met with some pretty strong resistance from some seasoned fire chiefs who just didn't want to name change their name of their uh, water tankers from squirts to pumpers. Right. I don't know. Do you remember that? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as you probably know, there are more technological changes on the horizons. Uh, when you think about that, what do you think will benefit the fire profession the most? Uh, the ones you know might be coming and the ones that maybe you could envision might be coming? Well, you know, I think the thing that you're going to see, or I think the thing that our profession needs to work toward is finding uh, more effective ways of fighting fires before they start. Best way we can invest our money. And by doing that, one of the less recognized forms of the fire service is the fire prevention division, code enforcement, building laws, rules, um, fire protection systems, such as sprinklers, you know, the, the big push across the nation. And we know that the number one location for fire, especially fatal fires in our country is residential in people's homes. Uh, we also know that the technology is out there. and It's been out there for almost 200 years of having sprinkler systems and a residential sprinkler system could knock that statistic out of the ballpark. But it's the concept of um, putting that into the fire codes where it's going to make it mandatory that that happens. Now it's starting to blossom across the country, uh, out west specifically in California and Arizona have been real uh, leaders in that. Um, the other things that they're looking at now are remote operation for firefighting, which is that our people don't need to go into harm's way to fight fires. 
uh, the use of robotics. Um, recently, we've had robotics used for, you'll see more and more commonly drones are used on fire scenes so we can get a look at things that we can't see normally. Uh, we have thermal imaging drone in Chesterfield, in fact, and uh, Chloe and I have both been on scenes where we put the drones up and we've looked over a scene and looked for people lost and different things like that. But now we follow that up with uh, um, like the robotic firefighting drones, uh, such as the one that they use to put out the fire in the, um, um, oh, the name evades me right now in Paris, the, um, uh, the big uh, Catholic church in downtown Paris. Um, they sent in a robot with a hose line and a nozzle connected to it. And that's oh. what ultimately extinguished it because it was too risky to put people in there. Uh, things like that, uh, those technologies that are coming up, you know, especially with concerns for the fire service over uh, post-employment cancer and uh, health being in uh, situations like that. How can we limit the exposure for employees um, so that we can go in and uh, do a better job that way? So um, communications will always be huge. Communications is always a challenge, and it's not just meaning better or updated radios or better updated computers. It's mean how can we be better at communicating, and what I love is the concept of let's talk less and mean more. I mean, how do we do that out in the field? Um, so, you know, there's so much that's going on right now, and, um, you know, a big thing is a lot of fire departments, most of the fire departments in the United States are, are volunteer or paid on call. And so they struggle with funding. They struggle with the ability to have the equipment they need to get that new technology, to recruit people and get them involved, especially now. Our probably our biggest challenge in the fire service, Chloe, I know what you think, but it's trying to find people, isn't it, right now? Yes, I agree. So, you know, there is so much going on and just trying to stay on top of it is uh, certainly a full-time job. But, uh, you know, I'm really fortunate to have Chloe and my other 30-some staff that we have in Chesterfield and that we work with all the time. We interact back and forth with the Macomb Fire Chiefs, with the other departments, my other departments inside Chesterfield. We are a public safety department, so I frequently talk with our public safety director, Brian Bassett, and our township supervisor, Brad Kirsten. And, you know, they're very supportive, our board is, and it's like, what do we need to do next? We try to look ahead um, you know, a decade and try to plan for what the needs of the community are going to be. Because like I said in the beginning, man, if you are not on top of it, you're playing catch up because the world just keeps going by at hundred miles an hour. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember when uh, texting to 911 came out and uh, yeah. doing presentations for the board and they're like, well, that's not going to be a thing. Uh, oh, <laughs> yes, it is. I, yeah, it I is. remember saying, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, now uh, we have video 911 coming out. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I don't know, our company, Equature, you know, that's doing our podcast. Sure. Uh, and I, I think about that and we talk about how helpful would that be, you know, on your way to a scene, if someone's streaming pictures of the scene to you, especially, you know, a fire, giving you an idea of exactly what you're coming into. Not that it's going to make a difference on how you respond, but certainly what's burning, what's smoking, um, what the scene looks like, uh, just the technology that's, and that's what we know about, you know, what mm -hmm. we don't know, you know, we just don't know. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Um, 
Thank you. I, I always enjoy hearing um, how people feel about things that are coming or, mm -hmm. you know, what might be coming. Um, Chloe, uh, we've kind of referred to, alluded to the fact that I have some fire experience. So you may not be aware of it, but way back in the 19s, um, <laughs> I joined the fire department that where I lived in the community I lived in and served there as a paid on-call volunteer. Um, I was still the manager of the civilians in the dispatch center for the police department I worked at. And I also worked part-time as a EMT for the ambulance service that was run under the hospital. Yes. It was a really busy time. Very fun. <laughs> <laughs> very busy. Uh, but I was the first female in that fire department uh, that, that they'd ever brought on. So there was a fair amount of gender-based, uh, lighthearted banter that had occurred. Like, do the dishes, clean the kitchen. That's why we hired you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, sometimes I would make comments back that just shut them up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they just annoyed me. So I didn't say anything, which also shut them up. Um, but often <laughs> women will find themselves in situations and take those comments very offensively. Sometimes the comments are meant offensively. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they're just meant to be lighthearted and banter. But uh, in this situation, I didn't have uh, the challenges that others face where, you know, they're just mean spirited. But I'm curious if you've encountered any challenges along your journey. Um, I I would like to start by saying I feel like I got very lucky with the department that I'm at. And as um, I mentioned in a previous conversation, um, I feel that my brothers there really made room for a sister. That being said, that brother-sister relationship, there's always, without a doubt, going to be that banter back and forth. I do feel that being a female in a male-dominant career, you have to have thick skin and an open mind. I know that they're intense with their joking and teasing are always good. I've never felt personally attacked or I guess victimized is a good word because I do hear stories like that. And I've mm -hmm. never felt that way at my department. I, I give it right back to them and it's all a lot of fun with that brother-sister relationship. And I know not everyone's experience is mine, but mine has been positive thus far. Good. That's good to hear. Uh, you've also taken on challenges. Uh, I'm just, I'm just kind of amazed. Uh, a very challenging business, in addition to your dedication to public safety. Yeah. How did you get involved in martial arts, and <laughs> what does it take to grow a business like that? I'm, I'm just so impressed. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I've always been into martial arts. I grew up doing Taekwondo and that carried over into my high school years where I started boxing. After high school, I was an amateur boxer on the East Coast. I competed for a little while. I then from boxing, I moved to kickboxing and Muay Thai. And the following year, I moved into a little bit of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. For the last, I want to say, few years, I was a coach for martial arts and really found myself taking all the different respects, combining them into one to form my self-defense classes that really took off. I do teach co-ed martial arts and self-defense, but the women's programs just were, were so busy. Every class 
packed. I had people waitlisted. And that's when I decided to take the next step and open my own business with it. And that was actually this year that I started the business. We go into a lot of high schools, working with junior and senior girls, getting ready to transition to be on their own for the first time, whether it's going away to college or doing an internship. We work with them for self-defense basics and a lot of situational awareness where I feel that I have an in when it comes to situational awareness because all of my first responder and public safety training, that is that is something they teach you in the very beginning is be aware of your And with my firefighting and public safety experience, I've really been able to have both worlds mesh for my self-defense classes. All right. And so um, do you envision just keeping that growing your, your business? Yes, I do. That's great. And I'm, I, I like that you're, you know, helping the, you know, the younger generation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they really need the self-defense, especially if they don't have the opportunity to, to take classes, you know, from, from a young age. So that's cool. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. Great. Um, all right, Chief Miller, I have one, one more question for you. Uh, you stay pretty busy on your time off with your family, Mm -hmm. uh, but you have spent a lot of time in your career seeking further education and growth. In fact, you were quoted in the media. It was a good quote. Uh, when you took on your current position at Chesterfield in saying, I'm going to read this so that I don't mess up the quote. <laughs> Although I do understand that the quote might be messed up, but it's a good quote. So you mm-hmm. said, most people who are my age are looking at retiring. I'm looking forward to the challenge, meaning the challenge of taking on the position of chief at Chesterfield. So as an inspirational leader for many, which I believe you are, uh, I believe the advice from people with your skills is applicable across professions. So I ask you, what advice would you give to those early in their career about technology, changes, careers, leadership, all of that? Wow, you did some digging, didn't you? <laughs> I did do digging. That's my job. That's really- <laughs> um, I have been very blessed with a wonderful career and I wouldn't have changed a thing. I've met a lot of people. I have learned from everyone I've met and everyone that I've worked with um, showed me the way that brought me to where I am today. And I only feel that the right thing to do is to share what I've learned. Um, I wish I could do it more. I wish I had the time and I guess kind of the energy too, to, uh, teach more than I do. Cause my passion is to teach also. Um, but I'm not done. Um, I just entered my sixth decade on the planet here. Um, and hoping Chesterfield will keep me around for a little bit longer and everything. I have a wonderful opportunity to teach or to work with folks like Chloe, uh, our whole staff at Chesterfield. Um, you know, the departments that I've worked for in the past, we have, uh, we've done some great things. You know, the thing for young people now that come into this, um, build your confidence through experience. Take the chance. 
This young lady that I work with that we're interviewing today, just like yourself, Sherry, you guys are not afraid to move forward. And you're not afraid to take on new challenges. And both of you are seasoned in that. You've learned from it. And you're continuing to go on to reach your ultimate goals. I see a lot of young people, and I hear a lot of young people talk about wanting to do things, wanting to know things. But you, you're going to get some lumps along the way. Somebody is going to tell you, no, you're wrong. Somebody's going to tell you, stop, don't do it that way, do it this way. Somebody is going to challenge you, and your confidence will come from that challenge and being able to say, no, this is right because of this. Or, you know, things along that line. When Chloe was talking about teaching the martial arts and everything, there's nothing better to build a person's confidence than working in martial arts and being involved and physically fit and pushing yourself in all the different ways. Push yourself physically, push yourself mentally, push yourself emotionally, push yourself spiritually. And all in all, you're going to be a better product in the end. And you know what we're looking for? And I, I tease my HR people all the time that what we need to do is we need to test for two things in the fire service. And that is emotional maturity and mechanical aptitude. The fire service is like a skilled trade. You could almost compare it to being um, an airline mechanic or somebody who works with a myriad of tools and has a large amount of skills that they have to do in a certain sequence to make things work properly. Uh, you know, kind of, we don't deal with uh, human emotion and interaction with people to the extent that like law enforcement or teaching or counseling or 911 communications officers do, only theirs is a little bit compressed, but they still have that depth with people. Ours is more tangible work. And by strengthening your, your way that way, uh, strengthening your abilities that way, I think that's how you're going to be successful in the profession of the fire service and EMS in our country. All right. Thank you. All right. So, Chloe, I'm going to give you the same kind of question, only, you know, from your perspective, uh, you're, you're at a different point in your career. You've seen different things than uh, Chief Miller. What I see with a, with the younger generation is, and then Chief Miller touched on it is, is uh, the younger generation is some of them are so afraid of the no yeah. that they don't, really push forward and try uh, because they don't want to hear no uh, or they don't want to hear, hey, you're not doing it right. You need to try this. Um, they don't want to fail, so they don't try at all. Um, now, taking that in mind, what would you tell them based on your path that you took and how to succeed, how to really find their passion? Um, one thing that I would tell them is the majority of what I have learned has been on shift at Chesterfield. Of course, the fire academy prepares you for <clears throat> it's a, the basic duties and learning while at work, learning from others and letting others correct you 
is the best way to learn hands-on. You, We don't come out of the academy knowing everything. In fact, when I started at Chesterfield, I feel that in my first six months, I learned so much more than I ever did in my academy that was also six months long. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> being on the job, learning from those who do have the experience is crucial. And there, there's more than one way to do things right. So be open to what someone else has to suggest. Try their way. Maybe the way that you do it makes more sense, but entertaining someone else's thought, the way they execute certain duties is just really important to do. All right. Well, I'm very grateful to have you both on today. Is there any um, anything else you'd like to share for our audience uh, before we before we end our session? I would say that to for any females thinking about going into the fire service, don't be discouraged by your gender or size. I myself am more of a petite female, and I had my moments in the fire academy, especially where. I wondered, can I do this? Can I do this just as good as the boys or the men that I would be working with one day? And one of my instructors told me that there is room for everyone in the fire service. Um, all genders, all sizes, there are things that I can do more proficiently than some of the guys that I work with. And that is because of my smaller stature. We have, of course, confined space, rescue, there have been certain attic fires that I was more useful for at the time, um, along with rescuing small animals from underneath a bed in a house fire and just things like that. But then, of course, in turn, there are things that a firefighter with a larger stature would, um, would be able to do better than me. So we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and as a team, we work together utilizing each individual strength. Uh, and I said, <clears throat> I said, is there any last thing? But I really want to touch on that before we end. Um, when you said there are things that someone of a larger stature would be better at, I think that it's really important that someone smaller or maybe not quite as, oh, I can't remember the word Chief Miller used earlier, beefy or strong or um, I think it's important that we remember no matter what your stature not to be offended yes when because you're a team we all have our strengths no matter what profession we're in we have our strengths and as we if we come at it as a team you know, we won't feel that yes I'm offended right right absolutely great okay well, I am very grateful for you both being on today. Thank you so much for the insight and information you've given us. And uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. It was a fun opportunity. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>